Hi and welcome back to Police Stories Podcast. Thanks for listening so far. If you've heard um, some of our other episodes so far, and if this is your first time, then welcome. Uh, This is a series of short stories about my 28-year career in the UK police force. Um, I was on various specialist units, which we're sort of slowly working through my career from the beginning, so we'll get to some of those. But what I'm trying to do in these first few episodes is get across the variety of stuff that uh, you know, your everyday cop can deal with and, and just some of the sort of procedures um, from the comments that I've had. It, you know, some people are interested in, in kind of how this perhaps bread and butter stuff works. And today we're going to deal with uh, a difficult subject. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the subjects in the police, as you've heard, are, are difficult subjects. But today we're going to deal with rape. Uh, so obviously, if you had... Um, bad experiences around this and and you don't want to hear about that sort of thing now is the time uh, to turn it off a little warning for you there so um, there's different types of rape you know in terms of legally the you know the um, the law is is black and white you know it's it's very straightforward Um, however the reality of rapes and the you know the offense of rape is is really really gray you know um like most other offences, but I think more so in rape than any other cases, um, it's, it's uh, you know, they're all different, totally different circumstances, even if on paper they seem, you know, straightforward. And the thing is, you have to remember that as a cop, you're trying to come at these things um, from a sort of evidential point of view. You know, we're trying to get the best evidence to put before the courts to get a conviction against this person who's committed this terrible offence. But of course, the victim, you know, has just almost certainly experienced, you know, one of the worst events of their life. So you're trying to be, you know, sort of a counsellor, a social worker, but also first off, you know, a cop that's getting the best evidence. Now, years ago, you know, I think it's fair to say the police weren't as good as it as they are now, you know, um, forensically. Um, there was nowhere near the opportunities and, and the skills and the sort of uh, the things available to us that, that are now. Um, and I think that, you know, the police have got a really good system for dealing with this stuff. Uh, every force is probably different in terms of how they deal with it. Well, a little bit. Um, but in essence, you know, um, they, they've got, uh, you know, quite a good sort of procedures in place and very early on as a cop even as a very inexperienced cop you'll understand what these procedures are so you might be thinking well why would you know a uniform cop be going to a rape well as I think I've said before the reality is the uniform cop almost certainly goes to everything first it doesn't matter whether it's theft of milk from your doorstep you know a rape a murder you know, a horrendous, uh, you know, assault or a fraud involving a hundred thousand pounds. You know, um, the street cop is going to that first, and their job is to gain that initial evidence. Uh, you know, to to get as much as they can that package together, to then potentially pass on to more specialist colleagues. You know, who deal with that stuff all the time. So, um, the different forces again have different teams to deal with this sort of stuff. Uh, so, for example, in the Met, you know, it's like the Sapphire team. They're the ones, and again, they might have changed their name now. Um, but certainly when I was there, you know, um, 
sapphire teams dealt with the sexual offences. So as that uniform cop, you go out and you get the initial evidence as best you can. You try and preserve physical evidence. And by that, I'm meaning, you know, underwear and the scene itself. You know, if the offence has occurred on a bed or whatever, you need to secure that. And, and really, you know, you're looking to have as little physical uh, involvement with that evidence as you can, because you touching it, picking it up, you know, bagging it up, etc., uh, can be transferring your own DNA and fingerprints. Now, when you first um, join the police, generally your DNA and fingerprints are taken, and that's for elimination purposes, because you can imagine that if they, you know, do some testing on some underwear, for example, uh, in a sexual offence, um, and then they find, you know, my DNA on it, uh, obviously they need to be able to very quickly uh, rule me out of it so that then they can look for the DNA of the actual suspect. Um, and the reason I say that they're all different is, and this one today is is a fairly unusual one, um, I would say that stranger rapes, which is the ones that perhaps, you know, people fear the most and, and certainly, you know, the, the news and the media, you know, and telly and, and you know, horror films and all the rest of it kind of, uh, these are the ones they portray the most, uh, stranger rapes, i.e., you know, a uh, woman's walking down the street, gets dragged into an alley by someone she doesn't know and is raped, you know, that's a stranger rape, and they are incredibly rare still, you know, again, if you read the news and the paper, um, you know, you'd perhaps feel that that's happening all the time, it just isn't, even in the big cities, it just isn't happening, um, it, certainly in 28 years, I think I dealt with probably two stranger rapes, all the rest were the ones that fit into the sort of greyer uh, area. And by that, I mean there's, there's a lot reported uh, that involve kind of ex-partners. Um, so classically, uh, you know, I've seen regularly where, you know, a couple split up. Let's say it's a male and female couple or it can be any any sex couple, um, but they split up. They go their separate ways and then they end up meeting up again on you know a night out um you know going back to one of their houses and they have consensual sex or carry out you know consensual sex acts on each other as well as you know the actual act of intercourse as well um and then the following day um it can be reported as rape because you know let's say this whole thing from start to finish took a half an hour and you know, consensual sex acts and intercourse throughout. And then two minutes from the end of intercourse, uh, one of the partners um, basically says no. Then in terms of the, the law and, and purely in, you know, for the, uh, the offence of rape, as soon as, you know, one of those partners says no, then the act must stop. You know, legally, that is, that is what we're talking about. Um, now, the reality is they are very, very difficult to prosecute, uh, and, you know, and no matter how much evidence you get, because what happens is immediately those offences rule out a lot of evidence, you, you know, that you've you've gained or could gain. So, for example, you know, if both parties are saying, you know, let's say that the other partner goes on to get arrested and interviewed and they say, you know, we knew we used to go out, you know, we were in a relationship, we split up, we met up again, we had sex, it was consensual. You know, if both parties are kind of saying quite openly, yes, we had sex, but one party saying, but right at the end, I said no, and he or she carried on, then 
you know, you've got a big issue because all forensic evidence virtually is off is off the cards because it's no good you producing evidence to say, yes, I found his DNA inside her. So therefore, you know, I can prove they had sex. No one's denying they had sex. The issue is this consent. And generally, you know, there's only two parties involved and almost certainly, or in most cases, you're in a private location, you know, whether it's a hotel room or your own home address. So it's not like there's witnesses. It rules out witnesses. It rules out CCTV. You know, it rules out most of forensic evidence. So what you're down to is um, maybe bruising, etc., on one of the parties, either where they've perhaps been held down or actually, you know, on their genitals, which would perhaps prove force. But then again, even that doesn't necessarily prove anything because once you get into it, the bottom line is some people have rough sex, you know, and again, we'll openly admit that. And it's very easily explained away. Well, so-and-so's got a bruise and yes, because we always like rough sex, you know, and that's how it is. Um, so how do you prove against that? And you have to remember that, don't forget, again, the police coming for a really hard time uh, within the press, you know, and again, you see it all on the internet and the social media that we, you know, the police don't prosecute enough rapes and they have a terrible, um, you know, sort of rate of convictions in relation to rape. But you have to remember, we gather all this evidence, then we put it before the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, I'm talking about England and Wales here, and then they decide if there's enough evidence to proceed. Now, they will only proceed if they think there is a realistic um, chance of conviction. So if they think the evidence is a little bit shaky, they're not too sure whether they're going to get a conviction, they'll simply say there's not enough evidence. So you're in the position, you are the one that has to then go back to the victim and say, look, I know you poured your heart out. I know, you know, we went through all this process and we seized this stuff from you and you went through a terrible medical examination. But I'm afraid the CPS have said there's not enough evidence to prosecute. So that's the end of it. You know, that is case closed. And unless new evidence comes to light, that won't change. Um, so, you know, it is unfair, although as cops, we, you know, accept that unfortunately uh, how we are seen in the press, etc., is unfair. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's not the police's decision now to decide whether to proceed with these cases. So the case I'll talk about today, which was a very unusual one, and um, what happened was I was with my sergeant and uh, I had, I don't know, maybe three years in the job, something like that. And I think I've said before that quite often the call you get to initially isn't necessarily um, what what the call turns into. You know, some of my biggest, sort of most violent, most terrible jobs have started off with the most low level sort of phone call initially and equally um, the other way around. You know, you have a call about, you know, there's 50 people fighting with weapons, someone's been stabbed, you know, and all this. So on the way to the call, you're geeing yourself up for this. This is going to be bad. I need to be switched on here. You know, we've got to look out for each other. Uh, this is going to be really dangerous. And when you get there, it's absolutely nothing like the call came. Now, sometimes it's false calls. Other times it's people, you know, well-intentioned that that's their um, take on what is happening in front of them. Um, so, you know, you, you very much have to deal with what you find. Anyway, so the call that we had on this day was simply from a mother saying, um, my daughter has been assaulted. That was it. No more on any sort of detail in any way. 
it didn't, um, you know, didn't sort of, she didn't let on in any way that it was sexual or, or anything. So perhaps in your mind, it's easy to assume. And she said that her daughter was young. I think the daughter was 16 from what I remember. So that is the age uh, in, in, in Britain, in the UK, that you can consent to sex. So potentially, if you consent to sex at 16, you know, in the eyes of the law, that's okay. Now, there are lots of other factors that could come in there because, you know, if someone's drunk, they can't consent. Um, but then, you know, who says how drunk? So again, that's down to the police to um, get the evidence of drunkenness, whether that's from witnesses or CCTV, because ultimately it'll be for a jury to decide whether, um, you know, they could consent or not. And also, even if you are 16 or over, you know, if you have like mental health issues or if you have, you know, medical conditions, you you may not have the capacity um, to consent. Uh, because unfortunately, again, we see offences like this that happen like within care homes and maybe it's staff, you know, there might be, you know, terribly, there could be, you know, special needs children within a sort of hospital setting that are then sexually assaulted or raped, you know, and they might be 17 or 18. Doesn't mean they consent. Now you're getting into, you know, doctors and medical professionals to give you the evidence whether they believe somebody could actually consent or not to that act, you know. So this is what I mean. There is very, very few sort of cases of sexual offence or particularly rape that are, you know, black and white. There's so many factors involved. And this is why, as I've said, they're so difficult to prosecute. So we go along to this address and the girl is, I'm pretty sure she was 16 and she's with her mum. Now you can imagine, you know, at the time I was kind of mid twenties or something like that. The sergeant I was with was probably, um, I think he must've been mid thirties. Perhaps he was a bit older than me. Um, but we're both males, you know, and you're now asking a 16 year old girl, firstly, you would have to speak to her in front of, uh, her mum or guardian, you know, you need a parent there. Um, because of the age, you know, and also because let's face it, they're going to need some support. Now, I've been to cases like this where, you know, the victim is in a terrible state, you know, and, and he's crying and he's terribly upset, as you would expect, you know, can barely form words to tell you. But I've also been to cases, and this is one of them, that they were just so matter of fact, you know, they're, they're just... So it's hard to picture the effect that this has had on them, which clearly it has, because obviously everyone kind of you know, displays emotions in a different way, just because, you know, she's not falling about, you know, screaming and crying and, and banging her fists on, on the table, doesn't mean she's terribly affected by it. But in this case, she was very, very matter of fact, she was a bit embarrassed. And I get and this is where it's difficult. You know, we quite often would try and send a female officer in this case, but it's just not always possible. Um, so unfortunately, she had, you know, kind of, me at 25, my sergeant, at, you know, kind of 35, two men turning up to ask her the most intimate details um, and and potentially, you know, the sort of most terrible things I said that's happened to her in her life. Um, her mum was there as well. And sometimes that could be an issue because obviously perhaps um, the victim would feel more comfortable in talking to um, you know, uh, cops, whether it's male or female, you know, without their parent present, because again, it's even more embarrassing to, to go into, you know, really sort of, uh, you know, great uh, details about, you know, sort of sexual activity with your mum or dad sat there, you can imagine. Um, that's very difficult. But on this occasion, mum was there. Uh, and the victim was, you know, willing to speak to us and was actually, you know, pretty open. And like I say, 
didn't seem on the surface that affected uh, and also was happy to discuss things in front of um, in front of mum. So we set about getting the initial details. Now, again, remember the plan here for, for a copy is to get the basic details, which you may be noting down either in a notebook or in these days, you know, a PDA or like you might have an iPad or a laptop. You know, a lot of the forces now are are issuing those. So you might be taking some rough notes. This won't be a, a formal official statement. This will probably be rough notes that will go to evidence because the actual statement will be taken by a very specialist officer who has extra training in interviews particularly of victims of sexual offences and quite often if they're young um, these uh, it's video kind of interviews or statements that are done so rather than stuff being written down in a stuffy old room with two blokes you know it's it's someone who's much better trained than I was um, that would sit in a in a comfier room with sofas that tries to put them at ease a little bit more and the evidence is filmed you know it's on video and therefore um, they don't have to kind of keep stop starting to say, sorry, can you just spell that? You know, you kind of, you let them flow with the information. You don't want to cut them off when they're in, in full flow, because obviously you can imagine that perhaps in some cases they're barely able to talk about this stuff. So for you to then stop them, you know, is, is difficult, you know, and, and not conducive to getting the best evidence. And like I say, you have to remember there's this dual thing, you know, you're trying to desperately, um, be sympathetic to them, but also get the information out. And you have to ask some really difficult questions, um, uh, even on that initial, you know, kind of uh, gathering of the evidence. So in this scenario, the girl told me, I said, well, look, just just talk us through what's happened, you know. So she said, OK, um, I'd been down at a friend's house and uh, there was a guy I knew. Now, she didn't say anything more than that about this person. She just said initially there was a guy I knew. And basically, um, you know, my friend, we were in my friend's bedroom, we were listening to some music, it was all fairly innocent at this point, um, just chatting, uh, listening to music. So there was the victim, there was her friend who was female, and then there was a suspect who was a young male. And um, she said uh, they'd been in there for like half an hour, an hour chatting. And then eventually, um, the friend left, I think the friend had to go out uh, to pick up a little brother or something like that but basically left the victim and this male alone in the bedroom so uh over the next kind of you know half an hour or so basically he he kind of literally forced himself onto her you know it there was it didn't sound like there was an awful lot of consent going on but you have to really break it down you know into saying so at any point now the thing is let's face it you know very few people, you know, during sort of uh, sexual intercourse uh, or, you know, sexual activity sort of pull out a formal written contract and say, right, sign here to say that you are consenting or, you know, because when you're saying and, and did you consent to that? Were you happy with what was happening? Did you say no at any point? But you've got to be very careful. You don't put words into their mouth. So but, but then sometimes when you say to someone a nice open question, tell me what happened, they go, will he rape me? You know, and, and obviously people um understand rape as being different things as well you know you can't so a lot of the time i've been to cases where people say well uh you know this guy raped me and you go okay well well what happened well um he touched my backside through my skirt you know so he raped me and you sort of go okay but so what happened then and they go well that was it you know he grabbed my backside uh through my skirt so so he raped me you know and you have to 
you've got to very delicately sort of explain that, look, what he's done is a sexual offence, definitely. Um, but, but just so you know, kind of, it's not rape. But in no way, you know, you kind of, you, could, you can't belittle what they're telling you because, again, that could have been a bad experience. I mean, it's really, really difficult ground to tread, you know. And I, I'm not saying I always got it, get it right, you know, or got it right. And 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 neither do a lot of cops, you know. Um, so we had to break it down to this guy. So just just talk me through exactly what happened. Now remember, you know, two blokes in front of her mum. She's 16, but she goes on to describe that basically, you know, he's kind of laid her down on the bed. And he's removed her underwear, you know, and he has penetrated her with his penis, um, which, you know, and she didn't consent. She said she was terrified, you know, and she's basically laid there, um, you know, completely, uh, you know, stiff and rigid, you know, too afraid to move, which is a classic you'll hear. Because, again, when when people are sort of saying, you know, oh, that's not rape, you know, um, because they didn't fight back. The reality is a lot of people are so frightened you know, of what's going to happen. They're convinced they're going to be killed if they fight back in any way. So they literally just lay there and let it happen. Doesn't mean they consented, means they're terrified, you know. Um, so as I say, there's so much to these offences. But basically, her underwear had been removed. She'd 100% been raped from what she described to me. Um, and then basically, you know, she sort of pulled up her underwear. She, uh, she'd not fought back at all, but we've already just talked about kind of why that might be. And then basically this guy left. Um, so, uh, I think this was like a weekend. It was like Saturday or something that this had happened. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry, this, I think this had happened on sort of a Tuesday and it was Saturday that I was sort of speaking to her. So it was kind of four or five days before. So I said, okay, right. You know, and, and, and that's, you know, the whole incident. Have you ever seen him again? You know? And she said, um, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen him again. Um, uh, I saw him, you know, that was like the Tuesday. I saw him again on kind of thursday or friday you know i said all right so so what happened then were the same thing and basically she went on to describe that exactly the same thing had happened um so it actually happened twice um so i was like wow you know i kind of didn't expect that at all so took down as many details as i could at the time it was you know pen and paper made as many notes as i could and then you have to get on to the the sensitive subject of firstly so where did this happen because there's definitely a scene out there somewhere that i need to try and preserve but obviously if this has happened five or six days before then you know obviously the bedding may have been washed this has happened in a friend's house so a friend might be completely oblivious to anything you know because um i don't think she'd actually if i remember she hadn't told her friend what had happened um so uh, the, the, every chance, you know, the, the, the sort of scene, if you like, has been completely destroyed forensically. Um, so and then the difficult question about uh, what clothing was she was wearing, you know, so so what clothing were you wearing? She said, well, you know, the, this red top and, you know, this pair of trousers or this skirt or whatever it was, but particularly the underwear. You know, that's what I'm really interested in, because obviously that could have the key forensic evidence on it. Um, that you know that will get us the conviction if uh, the defense of consent isn't used um, which as I say we are seeing more and more often now so she she pointed out the clothes that she um, had had been wearing during the time of the offense and they were seized by us um, now again when you seize evidence of a sexual offense or in fact generally ever any offense now 
rather they don't go into plastic bags they go into paper bags and the reason for that is that plastic bags sweat you know if i uh seal you know some underwear in a plastic bag and then go and put it in a, a property store you know within the police station which is either particularly warm or cold condensation can form and actually um the the dampness within that bag can obviously uh ruin the evidence so uh you know kind of police got wise to this years and years ago so even when i joined you know uh, 30 odd years ago um we were using paper bags because paper bags allow these things to breathe they preserve the evidence but they don't allow the evidence to be destroyed but even the paper bag has a specific way that it has to be sealed up to give it integrity so you know a paper bag is folded over twice at the top it has uh, sellotape goes all around it at the top so you cannot break that seal unless you um unless it's very obvious you know and on the bag will be an evidence label and there's an opportunity because obviously when it's forensically examined there is an opportunity for the scientists to take that out but they have to break the seal and then sign that bag to say they are the ones that that broke that seal you know and these things have to marry up um to preserve that evidence and the continuity of that evidence and to make sure that it's still usable in law so having taped it round a couple of times round the top of that twice folded over bag you would then put an exhibit label or a label right across the actual folded bag which you then sign so again there's absolutely no way that seal can be broken um, without it being obvious and be having to be resealed once it's been signed um, so we see some of the clothing and uh, we checked obviously whether it had been washed or not because you know even washed clothing could still be useful um, from a dna point of view so some of the clothing was was seized but she hadn't mentioned her underwear at all and i said look you know I know this is difficult, but I have to ask, um, what underwear were you wearing during the time? And she said, uh, well, actually, you know, I've got it on. And I kind of looked at mum and I said, oh, I see. Right. OK, so um, so obviously it's been washed, you know, maybe more than once since since that happened. And she looked at me kind of quizzically and was like, no, no, it's not been washed. And I said, OK, right. So that was the first offence on a Tuesday just to clarify, the underwear you were wearing during that offence on Tuesday hasn't been washed. Uh, and she confirmed, you know, no, no, it hasn't. And I've got it on. I went, right, OK. And I said, so I have to ask, on the later offence, on the, I think it was the Thursday or the, you know, the couple of days later when she, when it had happened again, uh, where's the evidence, where's the uh, underwear for that offence? You know, were you wearing a different set of underwear then for that? She was like... No, 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 um, that that was the same underwear, you know, I still had it on. So my mind is, uh, you know, kind of processing this at this point. So I was like, right, just to clarify, you were raped on Tuesday and on, let's say, Thursday, you know, a couple of days later, and the underwear you were wearing at the time of both those offences, you've still got on now on Saturday and it hasn't been washed. And I said, this is really important, you know, from an evidential point of view. And she 100% you know confirm that along with her mum uh yeah that's right you know now it's not for me to judge in relation to uh you know cleanliness or washing of clothes or whatever but needless to say i was a little surprised um so anyway that that underwear obviously had to be seized as well um but there's a, a process then so what happens was she was then uh, subsequently um, taken into a specialist uh, suite that we had at the police station and then you know the 
the more uh, the, the, the sort of better trained officers, interview officers came in and did the formal interview. And she was also then subject to and it's not very pleasant, you know, a full sort of forensic examination, which is, you know, is very unpleasant. And, um, you know, various swabs are taken from different locations on her body. Um, but that is absolutely vital to secure the evidence. And anyway, I'm jumping slightly ahead there. If I just come back a little bit. So we've seized this stuff. We've established where the offence has happened and what's happened. And at this point, obviously, we're now trying to get the details of this guy. So um, she said to me, uh, or I said, you know, so do you, do you know this guy's name at all? Or obviously, we need to get a description or try and find out where he lives or anything about him, you know, because this is where, we, you know, the evidence comes in. Ultimately, we want to catch this guy. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, yeah. And now this is the first time she's mentioned it. Um, she said, oh, yeah, I, I know him really well. He's my brother. So I said, right, OK, so the guy that, that we're talking about that's raped you twice is your brother. I, I said, now, bearing in mind, some people call, you know, close friends, brothers, you know, so it doesn't necessarily mean uh, siblings, you know, blood relatives. Um, so, again, there was a certain amount of clarification, but 100 percent that was the case. This was her blood brother that had carried out these two rapes. Well, actually... Now, that's a different offence. That's incest, you know, and is incredibly rare, thankfully. Um, but mum was there as well and she confirmed it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's my son. You know, he doesn't live with us and he's a bit older. I think he was like, I don't know, 19 or 20. But she'd been raped twice by her brother and was just sitting there, matter of fact, talking about it like she was saying she'd popped out, you know, uh, to the shop for for some milk, you know. Um, but in no way does that take away what the offence was. But I must admit, even I was a little shocked at this. And then while we're literally just finishing up this conversation and we're about to take her onwards to what I've just talked about, you know, this this specialist suite and all the rest of it, she sort of points out the window and go, oh, there he is now. Um, and again, I was kind of taken aback. So just to clarify, your brother that raped you twice, that's him outside now. And she's like, yes, that's right. So I kind of looked at my sergeant. We couldn't believe what we're hearing. Like, right, OK, you stay here. So we go running outside, get hands on this guy, and we arrest him for incest. Now, I just, you know, my mind was boggled by by all this. And I just couldn't believe that what I was hearing really all round. Now, in an ideal world, it wouldn't have been us doing the arresting because you've got all sorts of cross-contamination issues here with DNA. I've just seized, admittedly with gloves on, you know, her underwear and put it in a bag, which we're trying to prove DNA. And now I'm going out to lay hands on him. So straight away, you can imagine a prosecution solicitor is going to say to me, and I put it to your officer, when you went back into that address, you then picked up that underwear in the bag um, with those same hands that you touched the suspect on. So, of course, my client's DNA is on that underwear because you put it there. So cross-contamination is something you have to be really careful about, especially if you've got multiple offences and, and maybe the same cops arresting people as well that have been to a scene or that have touched vital evidence. But it's something the police is very aware of. So anyway, that wasn't the case because actually we had no more to deal with it and already those bags had been sealed. Um, so uh, it was watertight, the evidence. Um, and that's what happened. The case went through and sure enough, he got convicted of two counts of incest and got a long prison sentence. Um, but, you know, very, very unusual. The only time I've ever dealt with it and the only time, uh, well, I can't remember hearing about it you know, any colleagues dealing with it in another occasion. But it was 
an absolute black and white offence, having told you there's very few of those, um, and a really, you know, really difficult one to process for me personally, um, and possibly you're sitting there as well, kind of aghast at uh, at that offence, but yeah, there we go, so um, uh, an interesting one to say the least. So that's episode 21 for you. Um, you might be sitting there in shock, I don't know, but uh, hopefully you'll come back. The The incidents will vary, you know, as I dealt with them throughout my career as you're here. Um, thanks for the downloads. Like I say, I've been going really well. Um, I'm very pleased with that, and you know that we're available on all the various different podcast type platforms. Uh, just search for Police Stories Podcast and you'll come up with it. Thanks very much for listening. Take it easy. I'll speak to you again soon. Cheers.